Aloha, welcome to the Peace Projects. I'm Cindy Palos and I'm here with a wonderful friend and she's part of our Peace Projects team, Deidre Teagarden, the Executive Director of the Nisei Veterans Memorial Center. Deidre, it's so nice to have you here. Well, it is wonderful to be here with you, Cindy, and all of your friends. And it's really an honor to be on your first show. I am excited about that and excited about everything that you're doing um, as it relates to peace. I think you're just, you're, um, you're marvelous. And uh, congratulations on putting this together. Well, I invited you for a couple of reasons. Um, you have been an inspiration for this in many ways. Um, the work you've done with your mother, your mother, Melinda, I'm going to have on the show next week, is a peace activist. And she was an inspiration for so many. She has a passion for peace. I've rarely seen it anyone. She took you to Japan when you were young. She went and interviewed many of the survivors of Hiroshima. She's worked and knows the importance of peace. And because of everything that you've learned going and growing up and spending time in Japan, you speak fluent Japanese and you now work for the Nisei Veterans Memorial Center. You're able to communicate in Japanese and you've gone to Japan many times and you've been influenced by the understanding of how the peace effort is so important. And I thought, what a unique opportunity to understand you and your mother, the influences of her dedicated work for peace and, and how important that really is. I mean, you truly are living what your mother has taught you through your work. So so how, when you first were young and seeing your mother's work towards understanding the importance of peace, how did it affect you and how did it kind of influence you as you are in your, in your work today? Well, I, I definitely, am, both my brother and I are very thankful to um, our mother for taking us to Japan back uh, when she did. Uh, we lived there for several years, and yes, she was doing research on, at that time, interviews with A-bomb survivors in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and uh, it was in the early 80s that she was doing this, and we have the, um, I guess, I guess the, the honor or uh, to, to learn these stories um, firsthand. I mean, they're, they're very difficult stories, but as you will speak with her next week, you know, these people really allowed us to learn firsthand um, the devastation of war, the devastation of uh, the nuclear bombs, and how they were able to go beyond that devastation and that violence to um, live lives of their own. And I think what was so surprising is there wasn't a you know, I, I guess we would assume that there was a, a, a hatred or a dislike um, toward Americans, uh, but we never, we really never encountered that. Um, the, the people that we met with had gotten beyond that to talk about the importance of never having something like that happen again. And so every day we just heard those, those messages of peace and uh, not to focus on all of the travesties that had happened, rather take all of those 
understand what they were and move forward to make sure something like that never happened again. And I think that philosophy had a, a, a big impact on both my brother and I over the years um, and to this day. And it's interesting from that early influence, which is life-changing really. I mean, very few people could say they grew up that are from the West could say they grew up with that kind of background to where you are now at the Nisei Veterans Memorial Center, again, hearing stories from the very brave and valiant and many times humble, beyond belief, humble survivors of those who fought in World War II when the rest of their family and friends and countrymen were often put in concentration, well, I can't, concentration camp, they were put in internment camps. And, and meanwhile, they were out there fighting for um, peace, having to survive, and many of them didn't survive the battle of World War II. And you've heard some stories from them that are also life-changing. Yes, I mean, the, the story of the, the Nisei soldiers uh, of World War II is um, just one that is uh, uh, heart-wrenching and uh, at the same time is, is full of um, uh, valor. And, you know, these were men who a nation had decided were, were enemies just because of how they, they looked. Um, because Nisei means second generation Japanese, Sansei is third generation Japanese, but a lot of these uh, men, primarily from Hawaii, and then of course on the West Coast, uh, they were they were called aliens, and they, uh, especially on the West Coast, but also here in Hawaii, we had a a definite internment story where the the professors, the businessmen, the teachers, they were all put into internment camps. And uh, on the West Coast, you have a, a much larger internment story. Um, but yeah, so these people's parents were put in internment camps, shipped away, and yet their, their sons uh, went to fight for America to prove their loyalty. And I think it was, uh, it was President Truman at the end of the war said to this specific group of Nisei soldiers, uh, you fought not only prejudice um, on the battlefields far away, you fought it right here at home and won. And as a result, our uh, you know, Hawaii was um, transformed uh, by their coming back and uh, opened up many opportunities for those next several generations of Japanese Americans, but they all went with the those values, those values of responsibility and loyalty and duty and, um, you know, shame, don't shame your family, you know, you go and fight, you are Americans, and uh, even though you're of Japanese ancestry. And yeah, there are so many stories uh, that are just, you know, you can't believe them. But we had one of our, um, one of our veterans in uh, one of our oral histories said, you know, we did what we had to do at that time. Um, many of them came back, of course, started businesses, got into politics. But a common theme that we hear from them, uh, it has been, you know, war, war is hell. Don't go to war. Be nice to one another. It's just you know your what you lose is not is not worth it. So 
the stories and the sacrifices of those men and their families are something that we uh, hold as our foundation. We share those, and we also like to share that message of let's not make these same mistakes again, whether it's internment or. So beautifully put, and I can't help but think as I'm listening to these stories and what you've been through and what they've been through, how important it must have been for them to learn to forgive because the families, I mean, some of them lost everything and didn't get back what they had. There were people who were doctors, lawyers, there were um, wonderfully dedicated people who had done nothing wrong who lost everything. There were these people who went and lost their friends who were Niseis who died, so many died um, in these battles. And, and the pain and resentment could have completely eaten up all of these people's lives if they didn't learn forgiveness. So I think there's a theme that I might like to explore a little bit, how forgiveness can bring peace. Um, you know, you're, you're exactly right. I hadn't thought of it like that, but you're right. It, it is all about forgiveness and uh, in, in every aspect of, of what we do, isn't it? Well, I mean, if we are to learn, as you have, from all these amazing stories, think of all the stories that are literally movies in your head that you've experienced from listening to these people's life stories. But if these people who have gone on to be leaders in their own right, even here in Hawaii, so many um, who are involved in politics, if they hadn't learned to forgive and change their course, if they had taken that anger and hurt and resentment and let it grow, they would have not been able to continue to just even where you're sitting right now because the Nisei Veterans Memorial Center was built on the dedication of these people who were so brave and wanted and were so completely um, feeling that they had to do something important that was valuable, that was good from their experiences. Uh, yes, you know, um, the there was a, a luncheon in 1952 where the returning uh, 100th uh, infantry guys got together and they adopted a motto of continuing service, you know, giving back to your community. And each island here in Hawaii, that manifested itself in a different way. And for us here on Maui, it was basically our center, uh, which took many years and many amazing people and lots of hard work to create, but it started with an intergenerational center. So on our campus, we have both a preschool and an adult daycare center. And then of course we have our center downstairs with an education center where we hold exhibits and an archive with um, over 200 special collections from Maui's Nisei and Sansei veterans. But the point is, yes, they, they forgave uh, somehow and they came back to do great things. And we wouldn't be here if it, if it weren't for them and for their idea of continuing service. You know, and the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, they adopted the motto of go for broke, you know, just, just give it your all. Yes. And I think those, those two mottos really uh, share exactly what these, these men and their families we're all about because the family sacrificed so much also. If we just were to take that concept of forgiveness and put it in our minds to the Middle East 
and to the Palestinian and Israeli conflict. There's been such a desire for peace for so long there. And now, of course, there's so many people around the world. But if, if for just a moment we could understand how forgiveness um, could change the hatred, the death, the conflicts, the devastation that happens. Um, but it's, it's so, it seems so hard for some people who are so fatally wounded inside that they can't forgive, that, that, that it seems to continue and perpetuate on and on to the point where some people say, well, there never can be peace in the Middle East. How many times have you heard that? People said they tried, they tried, and they failed. So we have to then take that concept back to inside us because Buddha said, peace begins with them. Don't look for it without. So if indeed, I think that these Nisei veterans, I think that the families, I think that the people that had to be interned in those um, really difficult camps, I wonder if their philosophy and maybe even Buddhism or something found that place of peace within them found that place that they were able to achieve that peace that might have then been able to carry forth that healing process. You know, I, I often wonder if because the, the Nisei, the second generation, whose parents were Issei, first generation, if they were somehow able to take that that philosophy of, of Buddhism and forgiveness and respect uh, and endurance, you know, that is such a, a big concept in Japan of, of gaman. It's, it's not just patience. I mean, it's, it's hardcore endurance. If they were able to take all of that and also mix it with that American, you know, we're going to get it done, that, that Americanism to, to have this really, um, I don't know, come up with this, this, this philosophy of, 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 Combining the two of them, if 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 that helped them along the way, I, I don't know. But you know, you you talk about Buddhism and and everything is within. I mean, if if that is true, if we all were able to practice forgiveness, and we could start with with really little things like forgiving your friend on Facebook for not having your exact political ideas. Thank you. Um, you know, there's, there's so much of, of that. Yeah. You can, you can be both. You can, you can love your friend and at the same time, perhaps disagree with their philosophy about, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. If, if we can really, doesn't mean you have to accept it. It doesn't mean you have to accept that viewpoint, but perhaps you can still love your friend. You know, where, where is that balance and, and uh, you know, how, how do we make that happen? Thank you for bringing that up because I know you ran for office um, and, and you're certainly qualified. You have a wonderful background and you have all the qualifications and you are a woman, but um, there are other women who've run for office, but it, it did get extremely painful and negative. And it's very hard uh, when people uh, bring out tools um, that are frightening, you know, <laughs> and, and attack in ways that are shocking sometimes, even here in the land of Aloha. And I have to bring up that your, your mother, your wonderful mother, Melinda Clark, has tied in and she did a peace pilgrimage 
sharing the aloha. And she understands that concept of aloha and the importance of it. And I keep saying, if we can't have aloha, and this has been challenging times this last year, and if we can't share the aloha here, where in the world can it be shared? You understand that because your mother's passion for aloha. You're exactly right. And, you know, I, I think whether we talk about the Nisei values or the what Buddha taught, um, you know, uh, what our state teaches, you know, the 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 law of aloha is written into our constitution uh, here in the state of Hawaii. And that's huge. Um, and yes, aloha, my mother made these uh, pins that she took with her to Japan on her pilgrimage um, about aloha and um, the, the idea of it. And it was beautiful. She gave them out all around at the different temples and different people she met. Uh, we, but yes, I mean, Hawaii is known for its aloha. We, it's in our constitution, we talk about it, uh, but sometimes perhaps we don't practice it as much as, as we could. And if you, if you really look at the meaning and what, what aloha is supposed to, to do, I think that is just another way that if we actually practice that, you know, practice the golden rule, uh, wouldn't things be better little by little? And aloha is needed, always needed, but it's needed now, especially because um, there's so many people who are full of fear. I see a lot of fear coming in about what's going to be happening. Politically, yes. Also, what's going to happen when visitors come back and and fear about people catching COVID-19, fear about so many things. And I have to see that seeds of fear, wherever there's fear, you can see peace going right out the window because fear is the opposite of having peace. When you're at peace, you're not full of fear. When you're at peace, you are finding that place inside where there's love and contentment and understanding. And it really is the fear completely can dissipate that, that peace when you have fear. You know, and, and I agree. And I think that you can still be cautious, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can also have peace you know it's it's not as if you have to be either or i think um this is just my opinion but i think sometimes in western culture we jump to it's either this or it's that Mm. you're either right or you're wrong um if you don't agree with me i can't speak to you anymore i mean we we are a divisive maybe it's a divisive mentality Whereas, and again, just my own opinion, and this is growing up for many years in Japan and China and living there, there's more of a, there's more of that middle area. There's more of that gray area. There's, you, you can be, you can be peaceful, but you can be cautious. Uh, you can endure, but you don't have to accept um, poor treatment. There's a way to balance the two. And I, I think if we could find as humanity a, more of a, a balance, it doesn't always work. Of course, there are extreme situations and it, that's, uh, that's just the way it is. But I think that there's a way that we can practice more of a balance and realize that you can be afraid of COVID. Um, 
you can, so therefore you can be cautious and you can wear your masks and you can wear gloves when you fill up your car with gasoline, if you still have a you know gasoline car. <laughs> there are things you can do, but you can also be at peace. And to find that perfect, that perfect balance, that, that is, that is the holy grail. Well, that's also in Buddhism called the middle path, which is Buddhism is called a following the middle path for that reason, for exactly what you so beautifully said, because when you are in that middle path, you know, and sometimes that middle path can be called also a razor's edge because you can slip either way and, and, and fall off. But yeah, it doesn't have to be either or if you are centered with your intention on that path and an intention again, of resetting yourself, of doing something good and working for good with peace in your heart and peace in your soul, then yes, all the rest teaches us as we go. And it's not easy. I mean, because we are facing a lot. I understand that. When I got that UNESCO Peace Award, um, I was so blessed to be on a webcast like this. It was really my first big webcast. I I didn't have a light. I didn't have any other things. Uh, But there were people from everywhere working on peace. People from Nigeria, people from Japan, people from South America, people from Canada, people from all around the world. And when I was able to see that this is a worldwide thing of people working everywhere, understanding that importance of peace, and that is, um, yeah, we're not perfect, but that is part of their intent and understanding of how important that is. And there's people like your mother that raised you to understand these things. I think there's probably more people alive right now understanding the importance of peace than ever before. And yet still we're practicing. You know, every day, like you said, we're, 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 we're learning as we go. And sometimes the hard lessons, like, well, for example, what people went through, the Nisei veterans in World War II and their families, the hard lessons sometimes can teach us the most. That's very true. And, you know, if, if, if we practiced peace or if there were more peace classes or in school, um, yeah, and I know that they are, you know, people can get their degree in, in peace education, really? but per, uh, I know Rotary does a, uh, peace certificate and I, you know, there's this, uh, there are other peace institutes out there, which are wonderful. And if we were able to take that idea of peace and make it a little bit more mainstream, I don't know. I mean, everybody knows, I don't know. Um, I'm just pontificating. But, you know, one of the things my mother talks about a lot and it really helped me uh, was observation versus judgment. You know, I think um, as humans, we have a tendency to, to judge. We judge others, we judge ourselves, everything is a judgment. And if we were able to just kind of shift our mind and think of judgments more as observations, yes. if you look at something as an observation versus a judgment, it's it's a different feeling. And uh, she was talked about that a, a handful of years ago. And I, I always try to, to have that in the back of my mind to look at something, whether it's something I've done you know, maybe I didn't do my Zoom correctly. Maybe I forgot to put the camera on. Oh, you know, what a horrible mistake. Well, actually, you know, that's a judgment. Uh, maybe I just observe and then learn for next time. But you know, that's a tiny, ridiculous example. But there are, are much bigger examples. And if 
you know, you just take a, a day and try to observe instead of judge how different it feels at the end of at the end of the day. Uh, that's a that would be a challenge. That I, I I in my writings I've written many times about the term the objective observer. And that part that you're talking about is exactly that, that part of us that can discern. We're watching, we're discerning, but we're not judging. We're just going, oh, this, this, you know, this, this, this is this. But then you took it even one step further, which I really appreciate, which is taking responsibility. Because with judgments, basically, we are putting our blame on other people so we don't take responsibility for ourselves and once we take and again I go back to, to Buddhism and there was a lovely teacher um, and, and I just loved him he was in in Paia and I went with him to Tibet he, he's no longer around but but um, but he always said in one of his last talks at the Paia Zendo there was I take blame for everything I take responsibility for everything I don't put it on anyone else and when I take responsibility for everything around me, then I can change and I can control myself out of my ego. Not with the ego. As the ego responds and gets upset, then you have responses that are not from the objective observer. There's reactions versus non-reaction. You know, there's that moment of like, ah, ah, aha, I'm here because and I can learn from but it's hard not to kick in that reaction of the ego, you know? And once you do, yes. the other person almost always reacts back with something that is very hard to, then you, then you have the acceleration of a problem when you, when you judge from the ego and you can't necessarily take it right back. If there's a response that's even stronger back at you. It's, um, we have this gentleman who comes to the office. He is in his late 70s. Um, his name is Mr. Ito, a uh, retired businessman. He comes and he cuts our grass twice a week. Oh. And uh, I mean, he doesn't have to. He just he does it um, out of love for the center. But he has these wonderful Itoisms. And, you know, he'll come and I'll say, um, oh, so and so is supposed to be here. It's you know such and such a time for a meeting. Where are they? And he, and then he says, "Well, you have to be so thankful that somebody is late because it will help you appreciate more when someone else is on time." Or I'll complain. <laughs> yeah, you know, me. I complained a little bit. You know, maybe about the election. Someone isn't doesn't agree with me, and he said, "Well, that's wonderful. The more people that disagree with you, the better it is because you can look at you know back at your own ideas and see where you know maybe you could you could fix them." And anyway, um, I have them all written oh, down in a man, book. I, I love those. Maybe you could just frame them, put them in little things. I mean, what a wonderful spin! What yeah, a it's a great spin. So the next time. So whenever I get a little frustrated with, with life, I, I go to my little Mr. Ito book. So you like, oh, down? you've written the Itoisms down? I write them down on little post-it notes and then I put them around my office and every now and then I'll come across one. I'm like, oh. Well, I see them framed in little beautiful frames and put up on the wall. You know, if people want to understand what we're talking about, I recommend they try to find you whether you whether they're here on Maui or not they can go to 
NVMC, Nisei Veterans Memorial Center, nvmc.org. Yes. Um, you have hundreds of stories. You there are, are. It's just an amazing resource. There's movies, there's clips, there's so much that people can learn. And I honor the fact that you understand the importance of that and you're dedicating yourself to preserve what has been learned from these wonderful people. Well, it's, it's really an honor to do it. We love what we do here at the center. We have a dedicated team, a dedicated board, dedicated supporters, uh, you know, anyone who uh, walks through the door. Of course, we're uh, doing it by appointment only now because, of course, it's COVID. But, uh, you know, everybody who walks in, these are uniquely American stories also. We always tell people you don't have to be Japanese American. You don't have to have a, a love of, of, of history to enjoy the stories that are, are here that, that uh, go beyond politics or, or ethnicity or gender, anything like that. These are just amazing stories of humanity, uh, which every culture has, of course, and we're very honored to share the ones that we have. And I, I thank you, Cindy, because you are uh, just a huge advocate of everything that we do. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of all of the work that you do. And uh, Say thank you. And I do want to just give a, a shout out to the fact that you have some wonderful, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, take? Take? Yes, take. It's the Japanese word for bamboo. And we started this series where we invite leaders from across the state and nation to come on and talk about this new normal that we're all going through. Uh, we've had everyone from the, the president of the University of Hawaii, uh, the CEO of Central Pacific Bank to come on and talk. And, and Take is bamboo, which is known for its resilience and flexibility during difficult times. So that's why we named the series Take. Um, and it's uh, author series as well. well. Um, so, and that's all at NVMC, Nisei Veterans Memorial Center, nvmc.org. And I, I thank you for taking the time. You had to get in early, set everything up there. No, I, you, and you helped me learn how to do my Zooms. You, you took the time to do that amidst your very, very busy schedule. And uh, I appreciate you and um, the Peace Project's We'll continue um, with your mother. Uh, next week, we'll record one of those and they'll be available. I'm going to also put them all up on The Peace Projects. That's with an S at the end for a reason. There's so many. ThePeaceProjects.com. ThePeaceProjects.com. I have peace quotes up there. I have a peace meditation up there. I'll have the audio of all these posted up there as well. Um, and it's just my way of giving back after I was so touched to receive the UNESCO uh, Peace Award. And so it's just my way of saying, yes, this is something I can give back as you give back. And what an honor to be here with you today. I thank you so much. A big, a big gasho, a bow of gratitude to you. Beautiful Deidre Teagarden. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you do. Thank you very much. Congratulations. And I can't wait to watch the other interviews. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha.